You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. My name is uh, Jonathan. I'm the theologian in residence, which means they didn't know what to do with me. So they just... Um, Before we get into our message, I wanted to tell you about a class that's coming up. Uh, I'll be teaching, and we'll have some other teachers. It's called Doctrine in a Divided Age. I don't have to tell you we live in divided times. Um, And in an election year, it threatens to be even more divisive. Uh, Divisive in our families, uh, in our workplace, even in the church. And so how do you navigate division uh, with the, with the uh, orthodox doctrine. How, how does that work? So we want to help you uh, through that, and we'll have an eight-week class. February 8th is the start date, uh, 7 to 8.30. We'll uh, teach for an hour and then the Q&A for 30 minutes and uh, hope that it's a really helpful time for you. Um, if you're new to the faith or if you've never really had theologi- theological classes, this would be a great opportunity as we look at key doctrines like the Trinity, the sovereignty of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, perhaps you're a person who, uh, you have that, but you're really concerned uh, about cultural issues, um, about things like critical race theory or, um, uh, you know, politics or whatever, and you, you, you want to kind of work through that. Um, the class is for everybody, <laughs> doctrine in a divided age. So we'll be looking at things like the sovereignty of God uh, in an anxious age. We'll look at things like the Trinity in an age of fragmentation. So... Um, you can sign up today, and all the information is online. We'd love to have you. Well, before we get into our passage, let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you see each soul. I thank you that you love us with an incorruptible love. And I thank you that you have intimate and gracious design for our trials, for our sorrows, and for our pain. Would you show us, would you convince us of your good, loving, gracious design in our suffering? Maybe sufferings from the past will come to mind. Maybe there are sufferings now. Perhaps this is to apply to sufferings in the future. But Lord, would uh, would you shepherd us? This morning we're here, we're your people. Maybe we're questioning and doubting what a topic to wrestle with. Uh, Meet us wherever we are, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if there's one thing that uh, all people can identify with, it's pain. The band uh, Over the Rhine sings, pain is our mother. She makes us recognize each other. Pain is the subject of, 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 of film festivals and awards in this season. Uh, often the dramas articulate human suffering. Um, some of the films that have been nominated, like Fallen Leaves, look at economic depression and how that affects people. Um, Past Lives looks at unrequited love. And Iron Claw at human and family tragedy. But often what these films don't look at is joy in pain, wholeness in brokenness, flourishing in testing. And James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. 
knowing that the testing of your faith will produce wholeness. How? <laughs> How is that possible? Let's look at uh, th three ways as we work our way through this text. How is it possible to have joy in pain, wholeness in brokenness? Considering trials, knowing testing, seeing wholeness. Considering trials, knowing testing, and uh, staring at wholeness. Trials. Trials are the kind of thing that we want to avoid, right? So if you need to go to the doctor, um, you might dread going to the doctor in case you hear bad news about your health, and so you don't go to the doctor. You don't schedule uh, the appointment. You might have a, um, a subject that you're struggling with in school, and there's a midterm exam coming up, and you're anxious about it, and so because you're afraid of the F, you put off studying, right? We, we don't, we aren't warm to trials, right? We kind of dread trials, and yet um, James says, consider it all joy when you encounter uh, various trials. I mean, how in the world? <laughs> um, it, it sounds absurd. It, it sounds like a cult, like some kind of spiritual brainwash. Consider it joy as you weep, as you struggle with hardship, as you deal with suffering. How? How do we consider all joy? Well, the, the word account is a better translated, consider, it's an accounting term. Uh, it's the idea that you would have a, a column on the right and a column on the left, and you would compare the two columns. So if you were in a trial currently, or you think of a trial, you would listen, uh, list the, the sufferings, the hardships, the heartaches, the cost of your trial, and then you would put it next to um, the promises of God. Who is God for me? What does he promise in hardship? Um, and what is the promise here? Consider all joy when you can't ever start, what? Knowing that, that you might be perfect, <laughs> uh, complete, uh, lacking in nothing. My goodness, that's what everybody wants. And God has promised it. So as we consider it, um, it's a kind of weighing. It's a kind of reflecting in the trial. A lot of us are doing escaping, ignoring. But in order to uncover the joy, you have to reflect you have to slow down, consider, weigh, place the bad things next to the good eternal things, and consider, consider it uh, all joy. Here we have the promise of wholeness that is worth the pain of the, uh, of the trial. Um, now, you don't have to be a Christian to do this. Uh, people do this all the time. I was uh, talking to an acquaintance a couple weeks ago, and they said, you know, I know it's going to be hard speaking of their trial, but it'll make me a better person. And um, they're doing the accounting, right? They're, 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 you know, trial, uh, transformation, it's going to be worth it. But how, how do you know? Like, that trial actually might make you a worse person, not a better person. The only way you can count on something like that is to have a divine promise to trust in, the promise of wholeness, the promise of a transformed a uh, person coming through trial. Uh, Paul has another testimony about this kind of thing. He actually has the most concentrated use of the word consider in Philippians, where he, where he compares the loss of his people, the loss of his friends, the loss of his reputation, the loss of everything, 
everything. Next, to Christ. Listen to him. Consider. Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count or I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, actually, he does it again in verse 9. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He stacks his losses next to his gain in Christ, and he says, it is worth it. It's worth it. An inspired testimony, proof that we too, we too can consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Now, you might be thinking, hold on a second. I think I could consider it, but all joy? <laughs> all the whole, whole trial, joy, surely doesn't mean all of the trial is joy. The F on the test, the bone-aching chemo, holding your dead child in your hands, the void it leaves behind. Are you telling me that's all joy? And no, James is not saying that. Uh, the all modifies joy, not trial. Consider, consider it, the trial, all joy. Not all of the trial, but all joy. Uh, one translator, sheer joy. And to do that, you really got to consider. You got to wrestle. You've got to plead. You've got to weep. You've got to, and in the considering and weighing and reflecting, you move towards sheer joy. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know. I'm not convinced. All joy? I mean, is, it, it, it can be so hard. And it's true. It, it is hard. That's why it's called a trial and not a triumph. It is difficult. But it's also hard for another reason. Another reason, because our perspective is often more shaped by pain than by the promises of God. It can be doubly hard, triply hard, because our perspective on the suffering is shaped more by the pain than by the promises of God. What do I mean? We can become so enmeshed in our heartache and suffering that we lose sight of who God is for us in Christ. We can become so um, uh, obsessed with the pain that we're experiencing that we lose sight of any promise of joy. Um, a friend of mine told me about a couple in his church who lost their child. And they grieved, and they grieved, and they grieved, as they should. But something began to happen. Slowly, they became disfigured by the grief. Um, the pain didn't uh, make them recognize others. It erased others. And so, it until this uh, person came along and loved them enough to say, you're carrying your pain like a purse. You're carrying it with you wherever you go, and it is disfiguring you. Won't you give your pain to God and trust in His promises? Are you carrying your pain like a purse? Maybe this morning... 
God is calling you to relinquish it into His loving, nail-scarred, beneficent hands that you might enjoy and uncover joy in trial. Their perspective was shaped more by pain than by promises, more by hardship than by heaven, which is, guys, this is why the truth is here, to wake us up, that we wouldn't live by sight, but we would live by faith, to jolt us out of our pain in order to perceive God's goodness and faithfulness, to shift our view from sorrow (laughs) to the Savior, from cancer to Christ, that we might consider it all joy. What does that look like? How do you do that? How do we consider it all joy? Verse 3, James says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Considering trials, how knowing testing. See, see, trials aren't just trials. Trials are tests. You say, well, what kind of test? Uh, is it a, an intellectual test? You know, A, a through F, uh, pass or fail? No, it's not an intellectual test, rational test. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of test? Maybe it's a test of the will. Am I strong enough? Uh, am I uh, godly enough? No, it's, it's, not a, it's not that kind of test. Test the will. What kind of test? A testing of your faith. It's a spiritual test. It is a test of where we put our trust in our trials. Do you trust in escape? Do you trust in yourself? Do you trust in your therapist? Do you trust in ignoring it? What, who or what will you trust it's a test of faith. And here the promise is that you might become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. God is saying in your trial, if you trust me, I'll make you perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. We'll come back to that. A few verses later in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What's the promise? The crown of life. It's an emblem of royal favor and eternal vitality, forever belonging to God. So the way we consider it joy is by recognizing that trials aren't a random mishap of the universe. They are appointed tests of faith by a loving God to give us himself, to make good on his promises. So some of you may be thinking, okay, I can do that. I can, I can look for promises uh, and, and see what God promises in suffering, and, and I can do the theological math and trust in the crown of life or trust that I might be perfect or mature or lacking in nothing. But it's not enough to do the, the math. It's not enough to do the accounting even. Um, to run the cost-benefit analysis because it is a test, not of theology. It's a test of faith. It's not rational, merely. It's spiritual. Who will I trust? Whose word will I trust in? And because it's spiritual, the considering and the working this out requires slowing down 
inviting God into our sorrows and opening up our heart to Him about how we feel and what we really believe in the midst of our trial. I recently met with a group of pastors who are going through an excruciating time in their church. There's a slander and gossip uh, about, about to rip the church in half. And uh, these pastors were gathered around my uh, dining room table and uh, talking about how they're being misrepresented and how they feel betrayed. People have left the church and started a house church and people that you know, they felt very close to now were just running them down. And one of the pastors just, you know, was unburdening himself, and he said uh, kind of half-heartedly, I know God's sovereign. And uh, I kind of caught him in the moment, and I said, you know, God is sovereign, but is that what he's trying to tell your heart? What, what is God actually saying to you in this suffering? And it may be that God is sovereign because he is sovereign. But I had a sense that it wasn't. And so I, I said to him, perhaps God is trying to show you not so much that he's sovereign, um, but that he is compassionate. Not that he's in control, but that he's close. Not that he's tinkering with all the things to make them all fit together, but that he is weeping with you in your sorrows. Maybe God wants to show you that about him. What is God trying to show you? Over the years, we've had trials, tribulations of various kinds, small, medium, large. And my wife will inevitably say to our family, we get to go on a treasure hunt to find what God has for us. It's actually quite theologically profound that we go, we go on a hunt. We, we look for who is God catching a gleam of that crown of glory, uh, noticing the brokenhearted empathy of a man of sorrows. You see, trials are not just trials. They are tests of faith. Who will we trust? Who is trustworthy? Will we trust uh, the promises of God? You see, uh, the God is sovereign can kind of be a, like a theological cop-out. It's, uh, it's like a psychological loophole so you don't have to open your heart. But in suffering, God wants us to open our heart. And he wants to disclose treasures, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus when everything is falling apart and all is loss. He wants to enrich us with himself. What does God want to reveal to you? So we've looked at uh, considering trials and kind of working through it, um, knowing that it's a test, not just a trial. And then finally, seeing or staring at wholeness. Trials are tests of faith to make us whole. So how do we become whole? Two ways, steadfastness and staring steadfastness. He says, uh, let steadfastness have its full effect. Uh, steadfastness is just patient endurance. It's patiently enduring. It's not efficiently enduring. It's hanging on patiently uh, as we move through the fire. Uh, 
clinging to the promises of God. It's an unfortunate translation here, and let steadfastness have its full effect because uh, the Greek actually, there's some wordplay going on. It's actually um, let steadfastness do its perfecting work. There's a perfecting work God wants to do in us as we move through the fire, as we go through the trial, as we embrace the test. He wants to reveal a more whole and beautiful version of us. When I am uh, at my workout class and our instructors up front, um, inevitably the, uh, the muscles will start to feel fatigued, the lactic acid will build up, and I'm just like, I do not want to do another rep, I don't want to finish another set, and then the instructor will inevitably say, stay in it, stay in it, come on, stay in it, and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, like, i got to stay in it, why should I stay in it, like, Why? Because I want to be ripped. <laughs> no. I mean, kind of, but. <laughs> I, I do want to be fit. I want to be healthy. I want to lose weight. You know, why do we stay in it? And then she'll say something like, let's get beach ready. <laughs> but she's actually pointing to a picture of perfection. She's pointing us to an image of wholeness, of a better us. And she's saying, if you can keep your eyes on that, you can stay in it. You can remain steadfast. And God is saying to us, stay in it. Stay in the trial. Keep me in the trial. Include me in the trial. Don't leave it. Stay in it. Keep me in it. And keep your eye on the perfect, on the whole. Let it do its perfecting work. How do we become whole? We stay in it steadfast, but we also stare at wholeness. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, be perfect. There's that word again. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, here's an image of perfect, perfection, a beauty of wholeness. Now be like that. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need a vision of perfection in order to be perfected. We need a visage of wholeness in order to become whole. We need something to stare at that's beautiful and compelling and moves us through the trial. Um, last time I, I preached, I shared a time when I was in the hospital and I was recovering from surgery. And uh, I, I felt like it was just like I was never going to walk again. I struggled with de despairing thoughts. And I remember um, just shuffling around the nurse's station with my IV stand you know, just slowly putting one foot in front of the other. And uh, <clears throat> one day I made it down the hall and I saw some framed photographs of beautiful flowers, some close-ups and then some fields. And instantly I was moved to, to endure, to keep walking and keep taking one step in front of the other. Why? I, I saw I had a vision of wholeness. A picture of beauty, of what beauty, beauty tells us what we can become. Thomas Aquinas says being beautiful is being by nature what you were intended to be. And, and actually Psalm 50 says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So how do you become whole? By beholding the beautiful 
by perceiving God's perfection, by trusting in his promises and letting him incrementally transform us from one degree of glory, of beauty, to the next. How do we patiently endure? By staring at a stunning God. By trusting and maybe limping towards trusting in the promises of a compassionate God. Uh, the film Iron Claw is about a Dallas uh, wrestling family in the 80s, the Von Erich family. And uh, they had a wrestling glory until the brothers, one by one, tragically died. Uh, overdose, gunshot wound, um, one by one until one brother was left, Kevin Von Erich. The film documents all of that. And at the end, there's this closing scene where Kevin is in a field, uh, his front yard, throwing football with his two sons. And he sits down and he begins to cry. And his two little boys run up to him and then they say, Dad, you know, why are you crying? And he said, I miss my brothers. And his little boys wrap him up in love and they say, Dad, we can be your brothers. It's a picture of restoration. It's a picture of wholeness. And I know what you're thinking. It's not, it's not completely whole. And it's true of us too. As we consider it all joys, we encounter various trials and we let steadfastness do its perfecting work. We won't be whole until Jesus returns. We won't be complete until we fully behold the perfection of beauty himself. But one day, we will be whole. One day, we will be perfect. One day, we will be beautiful. So, keep considering. Keep enduring. Keep staring at a perfect and beautiful and gracious God. The glory of God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. And one day, all things will be new. All will be perfect. All will be healed. All will be whole. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, some of us, with an acute sense of our pain. And we um, struggle to offer it to you, to include you in our pain. And I, I pray that you would convince us this morning, if we're in that place, that you want to be there, that you're a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that you were sorrowful even unto death, and you you understand and you weep with our pain with us. And some of us, Lord, uh, need to give up the purse and to turn to the promises and to see that there is joy hidden for us in the treasure hunt as we uncover the unblushing promises of your rewards. Whoever we are, wherever we are, I pray you would give us 
more of the beauty and wholeness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.